Well, my name is Gary Albright, and I'm the preaching minister here at Shiloh Road. And I want to say thank you for stopping in and checking out one of our sermons. It's my hope that this message will inspire you and help you to follow Jesus more closely during such a difficult time in our country's history. Wherever you find yourself, whatever you're going through, my hope is this message and these words will be a blessing to your life. So Mark chapter 4 verse 35. This is from Mark's gospel. He writes, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowds behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boats that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Why do you still doubt? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So in this series, one of the things we're trying to do is go back and look at the miracles of Jesus. But not just to look at the miracles as we've always done, but look at them from different perspectives. Because perspective matters. This past week, I heard of a couple of different stories. One was an Indiana volunteer fireman who went to get $200 out of his bank account. And when he got the money out of his ATM and got the receipt, it said he had a remaining balance of over $8 million in his account. Because in the government stimulus package with the checks that we all just received, um, there was an error on the government's end, and he received $8.2 million in his account. Now, you think about that story from different perspectives. For the man, in this perspective, there is this sense of shock. Oh, my goodness, this cannot be right. Is there something I can go buy right now before they realize and take it back? Um, I, I just imagine him at, at a gathering at some point during the future, you know, walking up to someone like a Mark Cuban or something. And, you know, at one point in my life, I too was a millionaire. But, but this perspective of this man is so different than the government employee who probably made the mistake. Because for them, the perspective isn't this funny story that they get to tell. It might be their job. It, it might cost them something. And so the perspective that we see or hear the story from really makes a significant difference. And in this story, with Jesus calming the storm, there are several different perspectives at play. The first one is Mark's perspective and the actual writing and telling of this story of Jesus performing the miracle. Then there's the perspective of the reader who is hearing this story told from Mark's point of view and Mark's perspective. And then there's Jesus' perspective, the one who's asleep on the cushion, who wakes up to the disciples in this frenzy needing to be saved and rescued. 
And then there's the perspective of the disciples who are there going to their rabbi, going to their master and saying, we need your help. See, the perspective which you view the story in matters. And for Mark, his perspective is pretty important to the telling of the story. Because Mark, in his mind, has this picture of the creation story, where there is darkness over the deep, and God speaks, and this new world is created. Or the story of the Exodus, where God leads the people through the Red Sea, and they're saved through the water. But I think the perspective and the story that Mark has most in his mind is the story of Jonah. And if you don't know the story of Jonah, um, you've probably heard at least Jonah and the big whale or the big fish. But Jonah is a prophet of God who God tells, you're going to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was this, this city in Assyria that was basically Israel's arch enemy. They could not stand the Ninevites. And so when Jonah is given this task to go and speak and preach against their wickedness on behalf of God, Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, runs the entire opposite direction. He gets on a ship and tries to go as far as he can in the other direction. And as he's heading out on this ship, this massive storm comes up. You could say, like Mark says, this furious squall comes up and it begins to swamp the boat and the sailors are very, um, very fearful of what's going on and they start calling out to their gods and the captain comes and he finds Jonah below deck asleep and he wakes him up and says, don't you care if we drowned? We're, we're fixing to die and you're asleep. And so they start to talk to Jonah and Jonah says, this, this whole thing is my fault. I, I mean, the storm is here because of me. And the only solution, the only way to fix the storm is for you to take me and throw me overboard. And if you'll throw me overboard, then the sea will become calm. And the, the soldiers try to find different, the um, sailors try to find different ways to do that. And they end up just deciding, okay, God, we're going to give you Jonah. And they throw him overboard, and it says the sea becomes calm. It's stilled. And so in Mark's mind, he's tracking this story, I think, with Jonah's story, where you have the disciples on the boat, and this furious squall comes up, and they go to Jesus, who's asleep in the stern on a cushion. And he said, don't you care if we drowned? And it says Jesus gets up, and he rebukes the wind and the waves, and all is still. And all is quiet. Now here's the problem with the story for most of us. We hear that story and we think, okay, here's the point. If we trust Jesus, then Jesus is going to come into every storm that we ever have and he's going to save the day. He's going to rescue us. He's going to still the waters. But that creates some problems. It creates some problems theologically theologically for us. Because I don't know about you, but I know of people who love and follow Jesus with all of their heart. And they've gone through some pretty difficult storms where it seems like God would step in and save the day. But he doesn't. We, th we think, well, if we follow Jesus and we love him, 
then everything was going to be smooth sailing from here on out. But we know it's not. Because we know that I have a friend who lost their child to cancer. And that's not right. I know of, of others who have lost a spouse or a loved one. And, and so to just simply think that the point of this story is, if we trust Jesus, he's going to step in every time we ask him and make all the waters calm. Might not be the point of the story. And inevitably, Mark is trying to lead his readers ultimately to the cross, but really in this section to chapter 8. And in chapter 8, he kind of starts to close that section off, and he says this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, someone who's committed to me, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And the cross, in this sense, is literally a cross. It doesn't just mean a difficult or a hard time. It means literally take up a cross upon your back, walk up to a hill, and be crucified for what you are doing and for who you believe in. Like, if you are going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, difficult times will come. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me And the gospel will save it. You see, and the theology doesn't quite line up. When we see Jesus talking about this difficult road ahead, if we follow him. And what we could think is the point of Mark's telling of Jesus calming the storm. That if you trust Jesus, he's going to show up and he's going to calm and still all the rough waters and everything will be okay. What if that is not the point of Jesus' story of calming the storm? What if it creates more problems theologically for us? Maybe. Maybe that's not the point of Mark's story. Well, in this story, of course, Mark is tracking along with Jonah, and that's Mark's perspective. But understand this, that's not necessarily the disciples' perspective. I can promise you they're not sitting in the boat thinking, you know what, I think God is trying to teach us a lesson. I think he's trying to create this parallel between us and Jonah. This is awesome. I'm so thankful that God is putting us in this place. Because you don't think that in the storm. In the midst of it, you don't get the opportunity to think that. It's at any time in your life that you've gone through something difficult. You you don't look and see this perspective right now. Because a different perspective in the middle of the storm is usually not an option. Because perspective is based off of your location in proximity to the object that is in focus. What you're looking at. For instance, if you're climbing a mountain and you're at the bottom of the mountain and you see this long journey that you're going to have to take to get to the top, the perspective can be really, really discouraging. But once you get to the top, and you've been through the difficult part of the day, and climbing, and and all that is entailed, and you look back down, 
you think, wow, what an incredible experience that was that I get to see all this. Your perspective changed. But my guess is during this really difficult part of the climb, when you're really asking, like, why am I going through this? Why am I doing this to myself? You're not thinking, wow, this is, this is beautiful. And as you experience difficult times in your life, you're not going to be there in the middle of the difficult time saying, this is just amazing, this is beautiful. And in fact, you might not say that once it's over. But I promise you, you will get back, you'll get to the end, and you'll get to look back and see how incredible God's fingerprints were covering your story. And how God was at work the whole time, even in that difficult time when you couldn't see it. See, I can tell you for the boys in the boat, they're not sitting there thinking in the eye of the storm, hey, you know what? Jesus just taught us about faith, and this is the opportunity that we've been waiting for to show him that we got it. That we know what he believes, or that we believe what he, who he is, who he is. Excuse me, let me say that again. That we believe he is who he said he was that we have faith and that we can do amazing things for the kingdom, they're not thinking that. And as you go through that time, you won't be thinking that either. Um, I I found out one time (laughs) how much fear controls us. And and in fact, I was a young, young child. We were on a family vacation. I think we were in Hot Springs, Arkansas, maybe. And we had gone to breakfast in some little diner. It was kind of a hole-in-the-wall type thing. And I was, I was really, really young, somewhere elementary school age. And I had gone to the bathroom. And my dad went with me back there, but it was such a small space that there wasn't room for him to stand outside the bathroom. And so it was kind of one of those one-hole deals. You go in and shut the door, and you don't have room to turn around, almost like an airplane bathroom. And there's not room in the hallway either. And so my dad leans up against the door to this bathroom. And he's just leaning there waiting for me to finish. And as a young child, I finish and I wash my hands, I think. I open the door and push, and it does not budge. And and of course, like as a young child, you don't get to rationalize. And you don't have problem-solving abilities. All you can think is just panic. And so we're in this small restaurant. My dad's leaning against the door. I'm trying to open the door, and it doesn't work. And the first thing that I do is I start screaming at the top of my lungs, Help! 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 I'm stuck! I'm stuck! And my dad turns, and he opens the door, and I'm right there just like tears in my eyes in the, you know, the few seconds that I was sitting here yelling. And it seemed like a, an eternity that I was in there. I mean, it was just a matter of seconds. But that panic and that fear took over, and I started doing something pretty irrational. And you can think, well, you know, you were in elementary school. But the truth is, we all do that all the time when we go through difficult times. We we start to get panicked, and we start to make irrational statements. And our mind, it, it seems like, is just lost in this fury of emotions that we don't really know how to make sense of our surroundings. And I imagine that this is kind of the point the disciples are at. This fear has set in because they're on the boat and they're with Jesus because Jesus is on the boat. The reason they are in the storm is because they are following Jesus. 
And if they hadn't been following Jesus, they probably wouldn't have been in the storm in the first place. But they find themselves out on the open waters. And land is is far from them. And the storm comes up, and Mark describes it as a furious squall. He says, a furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. I'll tell you, there's nothing like a good furious squall. You know, a furious squall comes up and it just swamps the boat. There's nothing like a furious squall that can make you realize your lack of control. And I think ultimately that's why that fear sets in. Because we realize that we're in a a very scary situation that we don't have control. And it terrifies us. And we start screaming. And so they go and they wake up Jesus. And I love what they ask him. Jesus, don't you care if we drowned? Don't you care? Jesus, don't you care if we drowned? Because the whole time, Jesus is there asleep on this cushion. Just like Jonah was asleep below the ship. Here's Jesus, hidden from the wind and the waves, asleep on a cushion. Which, by the way, is the only time in all of the Gospels where we see Jesus asleep. It's in the storm. Maybe it's something about his trust in God. I don't, I don't know why that is, but that's the only time we see Jesus asleep in the Gospels. But you also need to understand for these Jewish believers... The storm and the sea wasn't just nature at work doing its worst. The sea represented the abyss. And so unless you were a fisherman, you really didn't go out on the waters. Because the sea was the place of darkness and the place of chaos. It's where evil came from. You look back to the stories in in Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, where did the beast come from? They come out of the sea. And so the sea was this scary place, but it wasn't just scary in the sense of we're afraid of the waters. It was we're afraid of what the waters represent. It's the evil, the darkness, the chaos. And so they come to Jesus asleep on a cushion, and they wake him up, and they say, Teacher, Jesus, Rabbi, don't you care if we drowned? Don't you care? Because their, their question, don't you care, comes from this belief that if we follow Jesus, everything is going to work out okay. It's this question that we ask. If you are God, <clears throat> if you are God and you can do something, then why don't you? It's the question we watch Um, we ask when we watch the commercial with the children starving in other countries, if you are God and you can do something, why don't you? It's the question we ask when we see children with disease, with, with cancer. If you are God and you can do something, why don't you? You see, I, I think to answer that question we need to look at the reason why bad things happen. 
And I think there's three primary reasons that bad things happen. One, we cause them. Sometimes it's because of sin. Sometimes it's not. We just, it's our actions that have caused something to happen. The, the disciples, you remember, asked about a blind man. Why is this man blind? Was it his parents who sinned or was it him? Daniel finds himself in a lion's den because of something he chose to do. It wasn't sin. It was a choice. But the second reason is others caused them. Someone else does something that affects our life, which, you know, we say regularly, your sin affects other people. And the same is true here. Your sin affects other people, and other people's sin affects you. And so that, that's the first two reasons. And I think those are, are something that we can wrap our mind around because there's someone in our mind that we can blame. Now, the third one is where, where it gets really difficult for us. It's natural causes. When things just happen. And I think this one is the one that's so difficult for us to, to rationalize and wrestle with. It just happened. There was a fire. There was a, a storm, a tornado that came through. Someone died because of a disease. And we look around and there's no one to blame. It just was. It just happened because of natural causes. And for us, I think it's so difficult because we want to blame someone because we're not okay with it just happened. That's life. It happened. And now we have to deal with it. One of the the greatest examples right now, I think, is this coronavirus. I mean, you look across social media and you keep finding people who want to blame other people for this. Some putting it on God. Some putting it on, on Satan. And saying someone, something is doing or causing this. Or I would say it just simply falls into that third category. It's a natural cause. It's a virus that's been around for, for centuries that has turned into something that's very, very difficult for us to deal with. It just is. But in our mind, we struggle so much with that because in the midst of that, there's that question again. If you are God and you can do something, why don't you? And as Jesus stands up and he rebukes the wind and the waves, which um, in Jewish understanding this is like an exorcism, where Jesus is exorcising the demons out of the wind and the waves and causing them to be still, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? Do you still struggle to believe why are you so afraid which which i would think for the disciples is pretty easy we're afraid because we're fixing to drown and if you didn't step up and do something then we were in serious trouble and jesus asked do you still have no faith do you still have no faith 
which I think is why we want to make the story, well, if you have faith and you believe in God, then, then of course Jesus is going to step in and save the day and everything is going to be okay. And the waters will be calm. But the question of faith that Jesus asks is not, do you believe and have faith that I'm going to step in and save the day every time there's trouble? But it's, do you believe and have faith in who I am? I'm not just simply the God who's going to rescue you from the storm. I'm the God who has power over the storm. That, that I will be with you in the midst of the difficult times, but it doesn't necessarily mean I will rescue you out of them, or at least in the way you think I should. What I do know is this is God showing up and showing his power through Jesus over darkness and evil and chaos and Mother Nature herself, saying, I have dominion. Because as the storm strengthens, so does God's resolve to stay close by your side. So a few weeks ago, our family had a really big scare. And, and I know Cammie and I have talked about this on Facebook Live, and so you might have heard this. But a few weeks ago, um, we noticed that we couldn't find Kaylee, who's our youngest five-year-old daughter. And so this has happened before. She was under her bed. She fell asleep. And so we just assume that's what happened. But I had gone to the store, and my wife calls me and says, hey, I can't find Kaylee. I'm going to go look for her. And she starts looking and can't find her. She calls back, are you sure she's not in the van with you hiding or something like that? And no, she's not in the van. And so I call back several times as I'm at the store. Hey, have you found her? And every time I call, I could see, sense this escalation and the tension in my wife's voice. And so I, I kind of just drop what I'm doing at the store and head home. And I'm, I'm starting to get nervous now. And so I'm rushing home and I'm about halfway from Brookshire to our house, which is not a far drive. And Cammie calls me and says, hey, I'm, I'm really worried. I'm calling the police. And I said, okay. So she calls the police, and as I pull into the driveway, and, and by the way, when she called the police, we were about a mile, I was about a mile from home. By the time I pull into our driveway, there's already a police officer at our house outside in the front yard talking to my wife, and my wife is trying to give a description of our daughter and pictures, and by the time I get into the house to go look through the house because I wanted to check myself and see how things were, um, there are bunches of police cars. There's probably 20 officers total surrounding our house and getting the description of our child to go start looking. And our next door neighbors came and they looked through our house. I looked through our house and I just knew that she was going to be under the bed. And so I look under the bed, I'm yelling her name and she is nowhere to be found. And all of our neighbors realize what's going on and our entire street is out looking for Kaylee. The police officers go inside our house and they thoroughly search our house and they can't find her. And then just out of panic, I, I, I've got to have something to do. I go back into our house and I start looking again because I can't just sit there because I'm about to hyperventilate and have a nervous breakdown. And I go and I look and I, I look under her bed again and she's not there. And I stand up and I yell her name as loud as I can in the house and I hear someone or something move under the bed. And I get down, 
And I look there under the bed is my five-year-old daughter with her hands like this looking at me. And she's got a red mark on her face. And she's wearing all black. And she was in the very, very back corner under her bed asleep. And we could not see her. No one could. Cammy, myself, our kids, our neighbors, the police, no one saw her. And I will tell you as a dad, it was the most terrifying 45 minutes to an hour of my life, not knowing where my little girl was. And all of those, those things running through your mind of what could have happened and keep asking, are you going to send an Amber Alert? <laughs> you know, because I, I don't have my daughter and I, I'm scared to death. I'm in the middle of this. And all rational thought just goes out of your mind. And I, I imagine something very similar for the disciples in this moment. There, there's this moment of sheer panic of what do we do? And, and Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves, and, and it's all calmed. And I love the questions that he asks. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I, I wonder if there's like this smirk on Jesus' face. Guys, why, why do you still doubt? Do you, you have no faith? Why, why are you afraid? I wonder how the disciples answered. I wonder what they say. What do you say? And so that storm subsides. But there's another storm on the horizon. This storm bigger and more furious than this storm could ever have been. There's thunder in the temple. The wind is picking up in the synagogues. The water is getting choppy in the temple courts. The anger of the religious leaders is rising. People in positions of power are plotting against Jesus. They capture Jesus when his, one of his closest friends turns on him and betrays him. And they sentence him to death. And during the time when it seems like the disciples are once again panicked, God, don't you care? We ask the question, where is Jesus? But this time, he's not asleep on a cushion. This time, he's slumped over on a cross. And it seems like all hope is lost again. And I can't help but ask, do you hear the voice of Jesus in that story? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so scared? Why do you still doubt who I am? Why do you still doubt what I'm doing? And the third day, the storm is stilled as the tomb is found empty because Jesus has risen. And it says the women that we looked at last week were terrified. And just like the disciples, they asked this question, who is this? I, I, I think that's my favorite part of the story. Jesus is asleep on a cushion. The disciples wake him and don't you care? He gets up and he says, quiet, be still, the wind and the waves. Are, and then he asks them this question, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? But then that, that last verse, 
says they were terrified. It, it doesn't describe them as terrified in the midst of the storm. It's not till after the storm when they see the power of God at work in the world that it says they're terrified. And they ask each other, who is this? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? I mean, you're, you're talking about some disciples who gave up everything to follow Jesus. They, they gave up everything to come be his disciples. I mean, you had fishermen who left their father. You had tax collectors who left money. You had doctors. I mean, you had so many people that were so committed to their life who just said, we're giving it all up to follow Jesus. And now they come to this point in the story, and it says they're terrified, and they ask, who is this? Who is this? Who, who is this that can speak in the wind and the waves obey? Who is this who can speak in darkness flee? Who is this who can speak in evil become fearful? of Jesus. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I wonder how often we ask that question. Who is this? Who is this? Because in my mind, I have the, the ways set that God's going to show up and work. In my mind, in church world, we're going to gather in this room every week, and God's going to show up in powerful ways, and He's going to transform and change people's lives. And people from this place are going to go out into this world, and they're going to transform other people's lives. And that's how the message of the gospel is going to go into all the world. That's, that's how this works. But yet, now we're in a time where we can't meet in this physical location. We can't gather here. And in my mind, this doesn't work. But yet, even when this doesn't work, I keep hearing stories of this working, of somehow God showing up in people's lives and transforming and changing who they are. And I keep hearing stories about people going above and beyond anything you could ever imagine to serve and give to people. Because people need food and people are taking meals to people who are in need. And, and our church is surpassing, um, exceeding far more than what we ask you to do for our virtual food drive. And I keep hearing stories from people of, of people who had given up on church and walked away and said, I want nothing else to do. And yet every single week that we're gathering together online, they are there. And they're giving it a chance again to see and, and listen to the words of Jesus once again. And in my mind, this does not work. And I keep asking, God, who, who is this? This is not how it's supposed to play out. This is not how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to come here, and then we go out from here, and everything works right. Isn't it amazing that no matter how long we follow Jesus, he still shows up in amazing ways that surprise us every time. And just when we think that, that there are walls and barriers to this gospel, 
God breaks them down. He, he breaks them down and his word continues to spread into this world. And you're seeing amazing things like families who have been so distant being reconnected because they have to be. And, and they're starting to play together and go for walks and do things outside together again as families. And families are cooking together and eating together. And we look and we see, man, these circumstances are really difficult and people are losing jobs and people can't work and people are sick and people are dying. But yet, somehow, God's goodness is still saturating the earth. And I can't help but be like the disciples in these moments and just simply say, who is this? Because, God, I didn't expect you to show up in that way. And what I know is right now you have an incredible opportunity. You have an incredible opportunity right now from your home to bless people and to show up in people's lives when they're asking the question, doesn't anyone care? I'm alone. I'm isolated. Doesn't anyone care? Doesn't God care? I'm sick, or my loved one's sick, or I've lost a loved one. Doesn't anyone care? And yet, every time we see the opportunity for you to bless someone else, maybe you are the miracle that they've been praying for. And maybe you have the opportunity right now to be a blessing to them in a way that you could never comprehend by simply making a phone call or taking someone a meal or donating some food or helping someone in need. Right now, when you see no other ways, it's possible that God is opening wide the doors so that others would say, who is this?